Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where support isn't just a lifeline, it is our entire ecosystem. We're like each other's rainforests. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft a business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. We're in the middle of football season. It's been crazy so far. Some pretty big upsets and some great games as well. I mean, every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now I'm from Friday Night Lights Country in West Texas, and it's big, big deal out there. And, and you know, Texas football, legendary. But have you ever tried playing a game of football solo? You know, it's kind of would be less of a game and more like throwing the ball around a field and, you know, getting winded. Just run around. There's no defense, no broken tackles, no deep passes. And I suppose maybe you could punt to yourself. I mean, it sounds really ridiculous, doesn't it? Certainly not the way the game was meant to be played, right? Most games aren't solo. But that's also true about the game of business. Entrepreneurship is not meant to be a solo endeavor. We are hardwired for connection, for collaboration, and occasionally some quality high fives. Not just digitally, but in real life as well. I've worked with nearly 1,500 founders and leaders from six continents over 15 years. And if there is one thing that has been universal key to success, it's this. They didn't do it alone. Even those who were true solopreneurs, they didn't do it alone. And at one point or another, they learned a lesson that is often overlooked. Community isn't a luxury. It's a lifeline. It sounds really, really simple, but even today, we are the most connected generation that has maybe ever existed. And yet we are the most disconnected from each other than maybe any other generation in history. And many of you are living on Entrepreneur Island right now. I know because it's a story I hear literally 10 times a week. And it's 100% part of my own story as well. So easy to do that. So Mighty Pathfinders, Trailblazers, what are we going to do about getting off of Entrepreneur Island? Here's the scoop. Number one is to embrace your tribe. Whether it's a mastermind group, a business forum, or just some friends from a co-working space, find your people. They'll celebrate your wins, offer a shoulder during the losses, and lend an ear when you need to rant about the customer that drives you absolutely freaking bonkers. Or maybe the team member. None of mine. You know, if you don't have a tribe, then join ours. Check out what we're doing. And number two, remember that two heads are greater than one, most of the time anyway. The power of collective wisdom, diverse perspectives, and mutual accountability. It's like adding rocket fuel to your entrepreneurial journey. One of the reasons that we call this SaaS fuel is that we're tapping into other people's wisdom and their perspectives. Not everyone on the show agrees. You know, shocker, I don't agree with everyone on the show on everything they say. But that's healthy. We make each other think and re-examine our position and maybe we adapt our thinking or maybe it becomes more solidified where we are. Definitely want to keep an open mind, but you know, not so much that our brains fall out. 
you know, don't just take everything at face value as, as truth, but think about the perspective and give it consideration. And number three, let's dive into the give and take. Communities are not just about what you can get. Now, I talked about this a few weeks ago in my story about CEO NetWeavers and, and you know what, what that relationship and the, the people there really meant in, on my journey. And to me, I mean, we still have friends to this day. But we want to make sure that we give and get. So it's not just get and it's not just give. I don't ever want to take anything. It's a give and take. Share your insights. Offer a hand or maybe even share that secret vendor who always delivers on time. You know, it comes back to you 10 times over. I'd say, you know, 100 times over. So are you ready to trade the loneliness of leadership for a vibrant, buzzing hive of like-minded souls? Let's not only build businesses, let's build communities that uplift, challenge, and inspire. There is magic in togetherness on this wild entrepreneurial ride. So how has community contributed to your success? Let me know. If you could use an upgrade to your community or if you know you need one on your SaaS journey, then check out today's sponsor, Champion Leadership Group. It's the ultimate resource for SaaS founders like you and me and C-suite executives to continue to develop, scale your companies, and never walk alone on the journey. Supercharge revenue by leveraging time-tested SaaS growth principles, toolkits, playbooks, and frameworks designed to help you scale ARR from seven to eight to nine figures. Collaborate with an elite network of SaaS visionaries as we uplevel ourselves, our teams, and have some fun along the way. Confidently take that right next step that turns into a quantum leap of profitable growth, premium valuation, and freedom. Learn more at championleadership.com. Our expert last week was Vlad Hu, a SaaS consultant and fractional CTO who helps craft winning MVPs that get traction and scale into profitable organizations. And our founder last Tuesday was Thomas Knoll. After working with a bunch of startups, he built five of his own with two exits and a few failures and thousands of lessons learned. It's a great conversation. We talked about mindset, mental toughness, and mental health. We have to have that in ourselves to help our teams and to win. And I think it was a really interesting conversation. So if you missed either one of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. My guest today is Yaroslav Lazor, CEO and founder of Railsware. It's a product studio. For over 16 years, Yaroslav has led technical teams who built world-known SaaS products like Calendly, MailTrap, Coupler.io, and many more, currently serving over 3 million users worldwide. It's pretty cool. He has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly in bringing SaaS products to life. So welcome someone with incredible perspective from MVP to scale, Yaroslav Lazor. Hey, Yaroslav. Welcome to SaaS Fuel. Thank you. Well, tell me, how did you come up with the idea of Railsware and what led you to start your own product studio? That actually starts a long time ago. Um, I was working as a head of product or like a director or whatever you call it. And um, I was hiring a lot of different people. And, and I had this dream to, to hire only the best people and to find a penthouse somewhere in the highest building in Kiev that was in Ukraine, back in Ukraine. Um, put, put them there and just be sitting there and, and doing some beautiful things with those beautiful people. And uh, I had a dream for a while, um, and the opportunity came along. 
uh, of starting a company, I, I thought I have a much better chance on doing it right when it's going to be my company. Um, it wasn't necessarily a product studio. I didn't know a lot about the industry, which what I learned uh, in the in the next years. Um, and basically, we, we were always super passionate about products, and we were we have been super passionate about knowledge, just gathering the proper knowledge and, and doing things right, being super conscious. And uh, somewhere along the way, we understood that you know building your own products is uh, ultimate freedom. And, um, after having some really nice ideas and executing on them, and we we understood that you know we kind of arrived to the to the notion. It's not like very often in life you get this that you, it's you don't you don't get to choose the things that you do. Eventually, in the end, you can you can name them and say, "Oh, that was the product, the beginning of the product studio." But uh, while you're doing it, it's more chaotic, and then you just go with your hunch and go with your feeling. Sure, right, sure. Well, for those that don't know, tell us what is a product studio? What do you mean by that? So I think uh, it depends on the state of the company. So you, um, we arrived at having multiple products and all of them were uh, around the same caliber. Um, we, did, we did get a lot of uh, advices that you need to focus, and, you, know, you need to kill some of them, sell some of them, do something with them, just focus on one. But as we, as we were looking at our products, it was very hard to select which one is going to be, you know, the thing. And then selling them at the state where, where they are also did make sense. And it's like kind of a selling off your baby <laughs> that, yeah. that you had an idea of, of, of building up and, and making, right? And then we, we started to move all of them uh, in parallel at the same time. And so the product studio is basically when you have, we don't have one single product that you focus on, but you have multiple products. Very often, uh, people would arrive that uh, earlier in their cycle. So they would have one product that is successful and they, they would basically say, okay, so um, th this is, let's now branch out and, and do some of the other things because uh, we, we can do it uh, better with marketing and uh, with pretty much everything. Right, right. And you started out working on other people's projects before you built your own. Uh, what are some of the projects that you built that uh, that we would know? Yeah, so the of course the, one of the the the, the biggest mind blowing is Calendly. Yep. We started working on it uh, pretty much day one, day yeah. zero, I would say. Probably day day minus thirty, <laughs> while it still was in, in sales. Um, so. Uh, there's other products that people would use. It really depends, you know, which market you are on. Parent Square uh, is a product people get to use uh, nowadays because schools use Parent Square to communicate with uh, uh, parents. Yep. Uh, teachers, teachers use Parent Square to communicate with parents. Basically, um, we are working on Next Health. Uh, it's it's a great product. It's, a, it's also a company that is uh, a billion dollar plus company. Uh, we work on a product called Office Space uh, software, which helps to manage uh, your office spaces to figure out who sits where and uh, eventually uh, helps to manage the desks, and, uh, check-ins and, and things like that, bookings. Um, many others, it's, it really depends on, on the industry, but Calendly would be one of the, sure. uh, the top ones, obviously. And how do you make that decision where you, you've built things for other companies and now you, you say it's time to build our own and, and really launch out and, and do that? 
I, I didn't think there was a, a specific decision. We were building our own products always. Okay. Um, right. And, and we were, it was more like we were, you know, software developers and I'm a software developer. I love to build things. Uh, we, we didn't for a very long time, we didn't say, okay, this is, this is going to be a company and this is going to be big. Right. Um, so we were, we did build some, some very great concepts, uh, in the early days. For example, we built a CI server, uh, long before the top CI servers were super popular. We just didn't run it in the, you know, because we were engineers, we were building them, not running from marketing perspective and so on. Um, that was a bit of a mistake. And then, you know, it's, it, it taught us a lot. But uh, Meltrop we built back in 2010, I think, 2009 maybe. And then we just slowly kind of launched it, self-launched it, and then people started using it. And all of a sudden had a million users at some point. Wow. So, and then we were like, okay, so it's uh, after, but after Calendly, we became much uh, super serious about it. So, you know, it, before that, it felt like you need to have this Silicon Valley story. You need to, you need to have the round of finances and you need to do this, you need to do that. But somehow, while, while we did hear and, and collaborated with companies who, who were bootstrapping, it was it somehow, you know, this Silicon Valley virus got into our head and we were like okay we have to become much better at building software we have to do this we have to know that we have to know this and um after we built calendly and we saw it's a billion dollar company and then calendly we were the only team for calendly for a very long time and we actually did the first marketing steps for calendly okay it's we understood that okay this is we're we're very equipped to build a billion dollar company probably the previous knowledge that we were hunting hunting for and trying to Search was a trillion dollar company, <laughs> not a billion anymore. But, and then we understood that it, this product is our passion, and uh, you know it's it's great to to take visions and and push them into existence. And so, what drives that you know, passion so, for engineering and product development? It's just this freedom, um, this thing that. So so while we were running the company, we saw that our approaches are very often much better than the industry. Mm, um, interesting. Than, you know, what's happening. And then, for example, we, we were running finances in a completely different way than the rest of the companies. And they were so data-driven, while other companies were just, they had a professional doing something. They, they, they didn't even bother to know what. Hopefully, it's all fine, right? And, then, and, and we had to somehow, specifically my role, I had to go through lots of different roles in running of the company. Um, Ukraine is, was at least famous for its outsourcing companies, yeah. uh, but not for product companies. So you, so for a lot of specific roles, you had to invent them rather than you could hire them from like, you know, in, in the Bay area, there's a lot of great professionals who ran this and they ran it from, from A to B and from B to C and from C to D and so on. And right. Right. We didn't have that. So we had to reinvent a lot of things. And while we were reinventing them, we made some interesting technological um, advances in those areas. And we were like, okay. So uh, so looking at those technological advances, we saw like a silver lining. So there's this approach, there's this data principle that we're using. Um, in particular, Coupler, our data product. Um, there was, it was one time when we were calculating the salaries for, of people and we had a data-driven salary thing. There was no like, we didn't have a manager setting up the salary. It was like completely data driven, all in formulas and so on. Um, 
probably 10 years too early. And, and I was trying to understand what our revenue is. So I was like, okay, let me just recheck it. So I took the hours multiplied by rates, and then I took all the invoices, and they were supposed to be you know, equal. So one minus the other should be zero, and it was a minus $200,000. I was like, wow. whoa, we underbuilt our customers for 200K, and we were a small company back then. I think we had like 2 million in revenue. It's a big deal. And so I went to find what was the deal. So I, I started to, to see those uh, individual invoices, which had different like uh, values than the one I calculated on, from the data perspective. And I saw that our accountant at the time just missed a line in Excel. So the sum was summing up from like B2 to B4, not B2 to B5. Oh, wow. So she, the line was there. It was just not summed up. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> what's... What is happening? What are we running on? Uh, as a software developer, you know, I, I went crazy. We were, I would be um, traumatized by using too much memory in the GVM uh, in, in, the, in the time when I was writing Java code, right? Someone, someone had made an extra string and, you know, milliseconds went from 11 to, to 12. And this is like a big deal for me. And here it was like a $200,000. Like I was like, oh, wow. So, and after that, um, I never recovered, and we started to move all our operations to data-driven operations, and uh, we envisioned uh, and Kapl- this. This is how Coupler came to be. It started as an Airtable importer because we were moving data from Airtable okay. into spreadsheet. Then it turned into anything importer, which uh, and we started uh, moving m- much more data in, into much more data sources, and then it, we, you know, selected the proper name for it, not anything importer. Uh, Coupler, and um, and and we we ran the company using this data vision, which is uh, right now Coupler is just like three percent of this whole data vision, and we're we're going to move above and beyond of that. And we were like, this is this is great. You feel conscious, you feel in control, you understand what's happening. It, it's it's a great feeling. And and when I was showing it to other people, I was I was trying to you know, get some knowledge from the industry and talk to like CFOs and so on. And they were like, oh, we're doing it like this. You know, we have this lady, she's doing that. I'm like, so what if she made a mistake? And she's like, well, hopefully not. <laughs> and then uh, we showed them how we do it. And they were like, oh, wow, can we buy this? You know, and then 10 CFOs told it to me. And I was like, okay, so we probably probably should be selling this, not, you know, just telling people stories. <laughs> So that's you know great. that's how products are, are created. You you have like a real big problem, and then you 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 have a great solution that is completely better than the market. It's like, well, let, let's just do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have a really unique way of bringing things to market, and so you know, walk us through the process of turning an innovative idea into a successful SaaS product with uh, you know, bridges and finding the heart. Yeah. Um, and so, so you kind of also realize that in retrospect that you always use this thing, and now now it's time to coin it. So we, we uh, the second one is the heart, uh, and the first one is bridges. Bridges we coined some time ago, and and we have been doing it for a while. So, um, so there's a there's a lot of dynamics happening when you start the product. Yeah. Um, not like it, very often founders think that oh I just need to tell the team what to do and you know they will do it but there's much more than that uh first of all founders typically uh, take years to build up this vision this idea how 
um, how they envision a certain part of, of their product. But then you want to come to a session with engineers and tell it to them in one hour and let them just build this whole big thing that they have, right? We, um, the way we run it uh, is we create a two-day session. Uh, sometimes it can fit in one day where we create a map of all of the knowledge that uh, that the, the team, the stakeholders have. Very often it's just a founder, but um, we, we also get to work with companies which are much, much bigger and uh, sometimes 12 people in one table. So what you do is you build all the roles that are involved in your business. Pretty much everyone who you're going to to uh, to work with, you know, like in, from a, uh, in a pharma company that would be doctors and pharmacology company and insurance companies and pretty much a lot of different players. Sure. After you understand the players, then then you're trying to understand like what's the way there those those players are collaborating with each other, and then you would start writing their issues that they have, the benefits uh, that they would like to gain from certain software product that would make their life easier, the risks that they have that they would like to mitigate, uh, the domain knowledge that um, the stakeholders have, but other people don't have, and they don't know um, certain things. Um, the uh, And then generically business goals that are also you know, but other people don't know. With those five things, you start to build a map. And then this map uh, expresses most of the vision that the, the founder has. At the beginning, very often the, uh, the founders are like, I wrote it in my one-page document. Like, it's all clear there. But after a while, they're like, oh, wow, this is five years of my life. I'm looking at it. Right. There's nothing to add. There's nothing to remove. Right. And then it often takes many iterations to extract them because... This is how our brain works. It's a, it's a neural net. It's not a inline dialogue, right? You can right. just express it. And then you iterate it and iterate it. And then all the, the what we do is we take the team to build the product, to sit in the room together, and then we we talk about it, right? And then you get a big map. Um, and uh, every card means something to, the, to all the team members. Everyone remembers, oh, this card is about that, or that card is about this, right? Um, well, we were building Calendly. There was this normal knowledge that uh, it takes seven back and forth and about two weeks to schedule a meeting. Wow. Um, and when you're, we didn't work in sales, uh, you're an engineer, you, you don't have those problems. So you don't feel them. You don't get to understand what is the most important part of the software. But yeah. you, you eventually have to go and build this. So without this knowledge, so, you know, and this session brings you, immerses you into this uh, uh, vision, information and priorities and what is really important, what is not so important and so on and so on. Um, and, and basically when the team is literally on the same page, because you're looking at a whiteboard uh, altogether, one big page of information, then, then you can continue into figuring out what is the roadmap, what are we going to build? Um, what is the solution direction, solution variation? You can start with an add-on to something. You can start with a solo product. Uh, you can start with an app. There's like multiple ways uh, how the strategy can unfold. Um, and and that's where the heart uh, comes in. Another dynamics uh, in the team is like we people are afraid of being wrong, or they just being afraid of being laughed at. Pretty much, and then yeah. with with some of the smartest people in the room, 
you always have those dynamics. And so what, what engineers uh, or engineering team tends to do is something safe, something simple. Uh, at the beginning, they can, you know, they can create this, the, the screens that they were always creating and uh, log in for a good password or some administrative screen, some profile settings and so on and so on. And then all of a sudden you use all of your budget, which you had to innovate something on things that are very simple, right? So, and then we do it the other way around. Uh, we, we use the heart. We find the heart of the system. What is the most important thing? that would anchor this huge vision because very often the bridges ends up being a few years of engineering. Uh, so we, we take the smallest uh, part, which is the most crucial, the most important that would actually make the software useful today, tomorrow or the day after. Right. And we, um, present it to, uh, we, we roll out the roadmap, uh, from that, for example, our, um, coupler started with just a script in the browser where we would take the uh, internal API that shouldn't supposed to be used by, uh, by external users from Airtable and we ran it in the console to extract the data. Um, so we hacked it a bit uh, uh, because the API itself was probably 20 to 30 times more work to extract this data. Wow. So we used um, Airtable. Uh, Airtable had this ability to share the data to some some other user, and we basically used this page. This had, page has a beautiful JSON with everything we needed. An API we had to iterate over every entity, take all its fields and take all its data, and then kind of combine it together. And uh, it's you know when, when you start with a complex thing, it's not it's not always great because you can get you, you start over engineering in that direction. So we, we took this, we put it in the browser, we printed the table in the browser. We were like, okay, we have a product. Wow. Um, we extracted the data and here it is. And then the second step would be uh, to use uh, app script in, in Google spreadsheets to just take this hard coded uh, view of data and import it into a spreadsheet. And, and that's the whole, there was the whole product there table importer, right? It, it just had to do those two things. Uh, so when we did it, uh, together with, with an engineer we were, we were building it with, we were like, okay, so that's it. Does it make sense? And he was like, well, yeah, now it makes sense. We talked about the, all those, you know, benefit issues, risk and actors and so on. That kind of makes sense. But this makes complete sense for me. I now know what I need to do. And after that, you just need to build uh, a rather straightforward functionality. So you, you anchor the most important thing, the most important flow, and then around it, you need to build a, a Google add-on. With a Google add-on, you need some kind of a list of things that you import, and then you need to add the URL. But that's very clear for, for the people that, that build it, right? The same thing happened with Smart Checklist. When we were building the Smart Checklist, it basically was a um, add-on uh, that, that we're, we would take uh, just as uh, a text field, um, and we would turn this text field into... Uh, a checklist item, just render the, the checklist item. Um, and, and that also helped us uh, a lot. Uh, so, so basically, we, we did it in three days and we, we had a software product. Uh, we, we took a text area, super simple UX and UI. We took a field uh, inside uh, um, the Atlassian infrastructure for storage. And we would uh, take the, the text elements, render them into a checklist. And, and that's it. You have a product. And, you know, after three days, you, you kind of, you, you've seen this heart of the product. And then around, of course, you need to build all the permissions and management and, and, and sure. other things and so on. 
I think it's a brilliant way to look at it. And it's very different than what I've seen in, in the industry because you're right. Most of the time it starts with the easy things. It starts with solutions that are, are obvious, that are safe, and not really kind of thinking outside. But they're moving from the known into the unknown. And so you're kind of turning that around. And instead of you know going from what you know to, to that mysterious black box inside that nobody really knows how it works, it's really getting into what is the problem we're trying to solve and figuring out what the, the most important part of the application uh, from the, the very beginning and building that first. I think that's a, a really unique approach and, uh, and finding the heart. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and we did it multiple times uh, over and over again. And with Calendly, is the same thing. It's one of the most famous examples. So we basically built a booking page uh, with a hard-coded calendar from uh, from the founder, with the hard-coded time zone, with hard-coded pretty much everything um, in, inside of it. And uh, we showed this one page, which shows your availability. And then we asked like 50 people to refresh the page in the company just to see if it's going to perform well. And... Uh, uh, you know, it, it did perform well. It, it, it went really well. Um, we understood that, well, the Google API can handle it. We didn't need to create any other backend and any caching and adding, you know, crazy, uh, in parallel, super async go, uh, things. It's, it is super important. Uh, and it works until today. It's, uh, uh same concept. Yeah. And basically it, it was the same thing. Uh, the engineering team seen this huge, massive thing that, they're planning to build. There was like a Microsoft add-on and a lot of other stuff. Some of the things back in 2013 when we were doing it are still not built. Um, and then we we anchored it all into this simple, super simple vision, the booking page. Um, and everyone saw it and I was like, okay, we get it now. We understand what we're trying to build. And even the second page, the third page, the fourth page, it, it all kind of made sense. But we were always trying to make it so that, you know, it's like, um, it's like a tree. The the tree gives you fruits every time. It just gets less, gives you less fruits, like an apple tree, right? Even if it's super small, it will give you one or two apples, and then it becomes bigger and bigger. It's always functional. It's never this kind of like broken down thing where you build. When where, very often people would come to us and say, ninety percent of the product is done. We just need this last ten percent, which happened to be the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. And that's what the team do, right? That they build things that no one, that the people do not necessarily need, and um, spend a lot of time on it, and a lot of frustration, and so on, and so on, because of all of those dynamics that, that we talked about. Too much information, the team is insecure, and when you use the heart, the team is secure. They they just built the first product; it works. They're you know they're happy, and happiness is such an important factor when you're building software. Yes. Yes. So how do you stay true to your product vision and still adapt to a market that's changing all the time? Um, that's a tricky one. Um, it's, it's actually super tricky because you either find yourself... So after you build this first step and it's successful, that's a great success story. And uh, we mostly hear success stories. Right, <laughs> we, don't, right. we don't hear a lot of the failure stories, right? Um, I read it... Um, um, there was this uh, great article, uh, How Do You Manage uh, CEO Psychology? Uh, um, it was from um, uh, Anderson Horowitz, I believe. Um, so, so he basically said that the most successful people have one thing in common, which is they never stop and they just always 
proceed. Mm. They, they always move on. They always go. Uh, they, they never stop. So one of the most important things uh, to stay to your true vision is to never stop, is to always be finding the next step that will get you further and further into your product vision. When you don't have a complete product market fit and uh, you know exponential growth and everyone is uh, shuffling shuffling money in, uh, in, into your um, uh, company, uh, you need to uh, you need to be working on finding uh, this kind of next heart, the next step. Like Octopus has eight hearts, you need to find the next step, the next heart uh, of the system. And you need to be uh, slowly uh, pushing into that direction. Uh, it comes from observing your customers, from talking to your customers. Um, but it also, it must come from your vision. It's the, uh, the, the famous uh, fourth statement that if I would ask my customers what they need, they, they would say a faster horse. Right. So you have to figure this, you have to keep yourself immersed in the vision not delegated to other people, uh, but but stay on top of this risk, uh, figuring out this risk, like how do you make it successful? How do you make it so that um, the next step will will work by uh, and translating and uh, listening to this kind of, it's not noise, but listening to this preliminary ideas from your customers where they say, I need a faster horse, but still understand that this is the car that you're building. Um. And for that, basically, the you know two factors. First, never stop, and second one is uh, you have to keep yourself immersed into this environment, not like delegated to a product manager and say you do customer development, you know, and I, and I'll go like and wait and refresh uh, my bank feed to see if we're already a billion dollar company. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, yeah. So, how do you? Have a, a culture, you know, innovation, collaboration. You said you wanted the the best of the best when you first started this company. How do you do that? You know, innovation, collaboration, and then keeping people motivated and connected uh, when they're you know distributed or, or remote work. That's a big subject. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did a lot of the preliminary hiring, and it was um, it was probably a bit too brutal. At the beginning, I was actually diving very deep into people's heads, how they think. Um, our interviews were not straightforward. They, they were a mystery to me as well. So I would be diving them into certain direction. And then because I, I was an engineer and I, you know, I worked a lot, wrote a huge amount of code. I was just looking how they solve the problems that they themselves got into. Um, so long story short, because we can, we can talk about the interview for a very long time, but we, we, we have live interviews with everyone, any role, right? So if it's an accountant, he's going to do accounting in, in pair uh, online for like 30, 45 minutes. We're going to do some calculations. We're going to do some formulas, some math formulas, actually. If it's a developer, uh, it, uh, like they'll do, um, a coding exercise. And, um, what we ask them, to, to do is to be uh, fair to agile principles because software can be can be stopped anytime and then you don't want you don't want to create unnecessary complexity software because you just had this beautiful idea in your head like oh right. we're so cool you know this thing will probably handle billion users well you don't know if if anyone is going to use it ever 
So what you want to do is do the next simple thing, right? Work in software over comprehensive documentation. Um, and we, we're testing the ability of engineers to collaborate, um, to write, to, to uh, understand what is it they need to do, but also collaborate with us and then listen to feedback and don't make it com complicated, write tests over it. And, um, and that basically slices, I think, 75% of the candidates that, that come in. Overall, if you start with the, the funnel, we hire 1.7% uh, of people that start wow. the application to, to a proposal that we send to them. And every step of the way, uh, we, we slice uh, more and more people off. It, it doesn't necessarily say that those people are bad. They're just, they wouldn't fit our culture. Um, and our culture is we're a T-shaped individual. So we, we, amp we push everyone to be conscious and to understand what is it that they're doing, but what are their colleagues doing as well? One of the biggest pitfalls of the industry is when product and engineers kind of like work, work alone in parallel, but what, the, what actually ends up happening, they don't work in parallel, they work like this and they go further and further, uh, apart from one another of, of, of kind of building a product. So all of our engineers are product engineers. They are able to write their own stories and dive into the product and understand it and, you know, be excited on those bridges sessions to actually understand what is it that they're building rather than just sitting and writing code. Because eventually the engineers are not going to build what you ask them to. They will build what they understand and right. what their passion like, like lays in. Right. And, and they're very often are building all the wrong things, um, delaying, delaying the delivery, you know, trying to deliver kind of bigger pieces and so on and so on, because it's a puzzle for them. It's a game yeah. uh, as well. And, and they're excited about it. So, uh, we hire very little amount of people, but those, all those people are passionate, not only on their craft specifically, um, but also on, on the neighbor crafts, right. For, uh, for an engineer that's product management and sometimes design, um, for, uh, product managers, it's actually a lot of things. They, they dive into marketing and support and, uh, QA, um, the business itself, obviously. Um, and a lot of our people, most of our people, uh, help with hiring. So we always use, we don't have a set of managers that hire people. Um, all the Vilsvarians are hiring people. They take part in, in this, uh, session that we call, uh, the full day where, where a person would spend the full day with us. It doesn't matter again, if it's a product manager or engineer or QA sales support marketing, uh, we will always do those. And then you have two or three people that did completely different tasks. And then we come and compare notes and we figure out how did this individual, you know, uh, work out. So we put a lot of effort into hiring. Um, and then we put a lot of effort into onboarding. Everyone actually, when we onboard people, we tell them what what's their expectations. We pair with them. We do pair work for absolutely all functions in the company. Um, at the beginning, people are saying, well, but this is like, you're just doing half of the work. But then after a while, they would be asking, oh, can you please pair me with this? It's very confusing. It's sure. very hard for me to like execute it myself, right? Those two things help a lot. Uh, and then when you have conscious people who are interested in actually delivering uh, products and delivering uh, their uh, whatever they work on, 
It doesn't matter if you're remote or, or you're local in the office. And uh, you, you just get to collaborate on a certain thing. Um, and also, we are, uh, we are in uh, productivity tools. So one of our product is uh, Checklist. But we have so much more. We had an intern in, um, we have an internal tool that we've been running for years that helps the companies understand what is it they're working on. And it's a portfolio tool. Um, it helps you understand everything there is to manage about the company, manage your processes, manage your product deliverables, your strategic initiatives and, and, and uh, uh, your kind of tactical, uh, things you're working on. And it helps everyone to, to always understand what, so what am I doing? Okay. I'm doing this. Which is important for that. Okay, good. And we're we're also working behind the scenes to deliver it to the uh, you know to more people to to use our portfolio and productivity tools. I like that. You mentioned you know, developers who kind of build their own thing or have their own vision. And how do you balance somebody who you know really has vision and wants to contribute more and wants to bring their own ideas in with somebody who's just a, a, a grunt work doer? Um, you know, how much of that do you want? You know, just a doer versus a thinker. Well, we believe that the best ideas should win. And um, I don't think, I don't really think we have doers in the company at all. Um, pretty much. It feels like that, that you need a senior person who breaks down the task to junior people and then they sit and do it for, for a long period of time. But technology doesn't work with that. Um, there are, you know, there are libraries. Developers typically don't repeat themselves more than two times. Sure. They're repeating themselves two times. Oh, there's <laughs> an abstraction here. Let's like figure it out. Let's make Love this library. Love libraries. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's library, there's abstraction layers. So, and then this junior person wouldn't do that. They would just copy, keep copy pasting things. And, and the senior person would do a library, which would make it better for the rest of the team. So I don't really see, um, that, you know, people who just do things, they would be, there, there is this possibility because what senior person can break down as a plan is not going to be an input for the junior person because he doesn't really understand. He's like, right. what is this? This is too complicated. I'm just going to copy paste it 10 times. They're missing the context. That works. They're mixing the context. Yeah. They're missing the experience and the understanding and consciousness and this, right? And then we, we had, we have this one of our guys, his name is Arthur. Uh, and he, he helps people. So we, we have this more stuff except for the heart and bridges. One of them is implementation plan. And this is the next thing we're going to be writing about. Implementation plan basically helps you to write, uh, what is it that you're planning to do? How are you, what is your path? Like, right. And then for engineers, it would be like, you create a pull request and you say, okay, so I'm planning to change this class and make those functions and connect this and do that. And then they show it to their colleagues. There's just a bunch of comments in the code. And the colleague say, no, 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 it's a better way to do it. Let's use this service and because you can get stuck in here. This is a problem. Let's go the other way around. And then they, so they create a pull request of comments in the code and they discuss uh, rather than creating the pull request of code that you're going to like rip off and throw away and feel bad about it. We're doing it. We, we call them I sometimes in a funny manner, call them push requests because <laughs> it is, it's a prior to the pull request, right? Yeah. And then there's. In a, in a very well-organized team, what will happen is that you get an iteration plan and then everyone will go and write their pull, pull requests uh, with their implementation plans. And then they will compare them 
And then they have a very nice uh, kind of straightforward path of, of going and building things and, and feeling great and don't not having an anxiety if your team will like this approach or not because everyone collaborated on implementation plans, right? So, um, so those help a lot to streamline things and, and actually know that you're, you're doing the right thing, right? Um, sorry, we we're, sometimes we get too scientific and, um, uh, in, in our approaches and inventing those approaches. And, right. And then you know, I keep coming with new, with new things, but this actually helps a lot with remote work as well, because you don't have to guess what your team is going to do with so many artifacts with the, the bridges and the roadmap and IPM and implementation plans. You actually know where we're all going and, and we have this collaboration between team members. Uh, to understand that, right? And then, so, so Arthur, back to Arthur, he would write implementation plan with, with, with kind of more junior people and they would still be confused. So he wrote a bit more. So then they're still confused. So he wrote a bit more, but actually the next step, it would take him probably a tiny bit more to just write code <laughs> just instead do it. of those comments in all those places. He would, he would just finish it himself. Right. While doing this implementation plan, right? He would just do the implementation. Um, so, uh, doers, I don't think they fit really well in the company. It's uh, we like dreamers, uh, great executors, and and people who collaborate for you know let the best idea win. I love that. Let's explore that that concept. Let the best idea win. How do you do that and do it well, uh, so that the ideas come out? And then how do you know when you have the best idea? Yeah. So I think it, it comes from within our culture. Um, every time anyone on any level of seniority in the company is wrong, they would say, you know what, I'm, I'm wrong. This, this was not the best. So it, so it eliminates this kind of management bias, uh, of, hmm, yeah. of trying to please the management. Um, and bridges session is a perfect place for anyone to drop ideas. Uh, when you're talking about the product, product is such a big thing. And then you're like, okay, we're going to do this and this and that. But when you're breaking it down into a map of multiple cards, uh, you have those clouds of cards everywhere. You can point the finger in this and say, I, I have a better idea how to do this specifically. Um, and that, uh, that helps people to focus and give their ideas in, in this uh, particular space. Right. And then we, we run bridges for everything. Uh, they don't have to be two days for, you know, for the products we do it uh, as two days for the new products. But whenever we have a uh, kind of a smaller tweak of, of the vision or even, uh, like figuring out some of the, you know, accounting things, we also do a bridges. Uh, we, we take the old map, uh, dust it off and then kind of see if, if we, what's happening in there and adding them. I talk about accounting a lot because I, I acted as a CFO for, eight months when we were redoing the way we, we built, uh, our finances and, um, it, it helps to hear everyone and to, and for everyone to be as, 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 um, uh, productive as possible and give all of their ideas and then evaluate them uh, asynchronously as well, because everyone else discusses their ideas, but also the culture of just saying that no, no, there's no bad ideas. And specifically it doesn't have to be the idea. It can be certain direction. So, you know, when, when people express ideas, they often mean a lot of things at the same time. Sure. So there are benefits and risks and issues involved in that. 
and there's some domain knowledge and then there's some other information. So when people express those ideas, we would write it down, put a card, and then we would discuss it. What do you actually mean? And it would get clouds of cards around the card. And it would go, oh, that's what you mean. We don't have to do it that way. We can do it this way. And it would be it would be much easier to add to the platform. And you're like, okay, that, that works. This satisfies my benefit, not necessarily my idea, but like we always we uh, we always have this this openness uh, because the talking about them very often gets you to a much better place. Yeah, right. So so really that starts the uh, yeah, but it starts with the culture. It starts with the culture that. Um, Ray Dalio has a similar thing in his uh, in his fund, the way they work uh, on things that anyone can criticize anything and basically add up to anything, and then the best idea uh, should always win. So he has it pretty well described as well. It's a, it's a it's a good piece to to listen to. Yes, yes, um, yeah. And you know, you need respect for your employees. You hire them. Um, you should trust them. What is it that they they have to say and. Uh, we have utmost respect for all of our people always like anyone can always uh you know talk over um any decision that there was already even made and then maybe we find a better idea in the end it's really smart yeah hiring smart people and and you know taking all of that input and putting it together yeah i love your background in product management engineering and and you've done something that a lot of founders have not done really well, and that is make the transition into really running a business, business leadership. You said CFO for eight months. You know, it's very, very different than product management. What has allowed you to do that and really build those business management skills on top of the technical skills? Yeah, it's, um, it's a bit hard. You have to, you have to break some walls in, in the house of your head. Um, I would so so basically the company started growing um, effectively and we grew four times uh, from back from 2018 2019 wow. really and that was the time when when the walls had to be broken um, there was a lot of um, uh, kind of situations which shaped the the kind of which pushed specifically me to to break those walls we were short on a particular set of people, uh, my CFO got sick and, and she wasn't able to work. And I didn't want to be the bad guy, just fire her when, when she's sick and, you know, just like hire someone else. It was not yeah. a great time for her. So this humanitarian approach uh, pushed me into actually being the uh, the interim CFO for the company just to, to do it. Um, I hated finances and operations, uh, like a lot. Uh, but then I found myself in a situation where I didn't, there was no people in the room that were interested to hear my story of hatred. <laughs> no one could help. So I found myself in that room with myself and I was like, okay, let's, so let's apply the principles of engineering to, you know, to this new thing, finances. And, and I did, and, uh, it helped us to make better coupler eventually, better data uh, and better data vision and, and to create approaches and principles that were never used before just because people typically don't do it, right? They don't jump from engineering into finances. Right. Um, and and after that, I, I kind of um, created a, a quote for myself, uh, which is like, if you hate something, like very much, but it influences and drives your life, then you have to be good at it. 
Mm-hmm. Otherwise, okay. it will control you, and it will it'll be a thing that always makes you feel bad. Um, and then this is what I did, and after that, I just kept on doing it for everything else: office management and visas and immigrations and uh, recruiting, marketing, and and I found that those all those domains have great deep knowledge to it, and they're interesting inside. And if you do them the right way, there there are not there's nothing to hate really. There's there's only you know evolution and, and all of that, and and that helped us to grow as well. Um, when you judge about a certain function of your company that is not being done correctly, and then and you try to somehow fix it, um, it's much better when you have the understanding of what this function is. Right. You get that by, by running it. And when you run it, you also have more respect to those people that run it because you did it yourself. Yes. yes. You, send, you send those invoices to clients and you paid the salary to people and, uh, and you know, what, you know what, what's there. And you can also help them. By doing some innovation and a bit of innovation in there, and, and you help them, they're happy for that because they, their repetitive work it goes away. We, with us, it's actually we do too much innovation. We're we're just put so much different, completely different tools than the the market uses. Uh, then people are like, "Oh wow, this is so confusing." I, I I was using I was doing this ten years the same way, and and now you're giving me this. It's like, but then the use it and they're happy about it. They're like, okay, this is cool. And we get to, we get to have new ideas of products that we can either embed into our current products or, or maybe create new products. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And as a leader, how long do you hold on to those roles or when do you know that you need to pass them off and, and let them go and let somebody else you know, fill that role? Yeah, I think it's very simple. So at the beginning, you don't, it's chaos and darkness and you don't understand it. Um, if you feel completely confused and you don't know what, what needs to be done, this is the time when you, you should be holding on to things. Um, th- there's this famous saying, if you're going through hell, keep going. So uh, you basically keep going through hell and then you understand it's, it's not that bad. Uh, it's like with snowboarding. You snowboard, you fall, you eat the snow, it hurts uh, and you're like, this is not fun. Well, because you're not snowboarding. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're, you're doing the, the opposite. You're learning. <laughs> yeah. And then you see those people, you know, fly through snow and enjoy their life. So what, once you get to the time when you fly through snow and you start enjoying life in this function, you start seeing, oh, okay, so I know what needs to be done. It's just the execution that's needed. So let me delegate it to someone. So you delegate it to someone, you synchronize it with the person, do the bridges session. You make sure that they're doing it, uh, the, the vision that you just found out, or maybe the, you know, hopefully in the bridges session, they'll share their vision. You'll share yours and the best ideas will win. And then you start seeing that you start um, creating a much longer roadmap and you execute things, but you know what you need to do. It's time to start hiring. Now you know who you need and for what and how to test those people because you just did a lot of that. And then um, you start hiring those people. And sometimes it took, it took me, I think, 1,500 people to find accountants. Wow. <laughs> it, it, was, it was crazy. Um, a lot of the accountants just didn't know how to you know, do basic math and, and equations and so on. And sometimes you need to do that. And make sure they include right, adjacent then, cells in their calculations. 
Well, <laughs> not that bad. <laughs> yeah, not that bad actually. It, yeah, I, I think at the beginning it was too much, and then but eventually, so we we were pushing our um, accountants to do their own spreadsheet calculations using array formulas and, and making those like bit of, but it was it was a bit too much. Um, you, so as you see the vision in front of you, you hire for that, and then you get to control them because it's it's chaos and darkness again, how will they do it? When you learn the model of people and how they work, what they do, what they don't do, where they need support, where they need guidance and so on, the, the chaos again turns back into understanding. So you understand how to manage them now. First, you understood the, what needs to be done now, how to manage those people, how to help them. And then, so now it's time to move on again, again and again. So this is what we did in, in we're doing in all of our roles, right? Uh, if you feel really bad, great, because you're doing what you need to do. If you start feeling a bit better, it's time to start hiring. And this was one of the most important things. We were trying to make the company very effective in all the places and, and hire a person that can do six functions and so on. And then all of a sudden, was talking to my friends and talking to some billionaires. That always helps. They were like, you know, you need to get this thing bigger. It's it's, it's hard. So when, when we started to grow, then we started to see some much better um uh experts in what they do in a in a smaller functions because otherwise you're trying to find a super t-shaped great person why would they work for you right is a good question so, right. right and then always one of the biggest learning curves is you in order to find great people you actually always have to grow the company and push the company for, for growth and that's done through this kind of painful learning sure it's not that painful in the end, uh, as you understand the, the principles that you, in the end, you'll prevail and you'll learn and you'll, you'll get to become a better person. So, so just do it. Yeah, that's good. Well, it seems like the Bridges framework really applies to a lot of different areas. Uh, is there a place we can go and learn how to implement that in our own companies? Yeah, absolutely. So if you uh, Google Railsware uh, and Bridges, um, you'll find a very well uh, described uh, um, information. There's a video about it, and uh, it's basically we kind of uh, we have this. Uh, we were running Railsware Academy, which turned into, and then we we have about fifty thousand subscribers on YouTube and about five million views, uh, where we shared about um, many things. Uh, but the most the most popular uh, became our basic introduction to Google spreadsheets. Uh, which is like 2.2 million views or something like that. And then uh, another one was the Data Studio, which is now uh, Looker Studio, uh, that, that got like half a million views. Um, there's a lot of things for us to share, but uh, you know, there's so much info in the world to learn. Um, and in order to do that, to share more, is basically we, we have to become bigger. We have to grow as a company. Sure. Then we have more time to focus on, on a particular subject. But That's great. Uh, yeah, but Bridges... Bridges is great, and uh, we're going to share about the heart, and soon we're going to share about uh, the article about the heart should came out should come out uh, pretty much soon. How is it to to find this heart? Super super important, uh, and um, and the implementation plans are also very important for the dynamics of the of the team. Right, very often in the um, uh, philosophical uh, sense, people say it's about the journey, it's not about the result, right? The, the journey, so Bridges is about the journey. How, how do you do it? The, 
the heart is about selecting how the journey starts. And then implementation plans is about how do you do your day-to-day in a sense where you feel you're in That's great. We'll make sure and link that in the show notes. And Yaroslav, really enjoyed having you on the show today. Thanks a lot. Thanks again, Yaroslav, for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights. You can learn more about Yaroslav and Railsware at railsware.com. I think he mentioned it in our conversation, but as a reminder, Yaroslav is from Ukraine. And the top of the Railsware website, there's a place where you can donate to the Save a Life organization. We've long supported Nova Ukraine, so consider partnering with us in supporting Ukraine and the the effort over there. Uh, We don't want to lose sight on all that's happening there or in Israel or around the world. And a core value for us is using business to give back. So check those out. All links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. And of course, full video version of the podcast plus more is on our YouTube channel. Subscribe, follow us, and share it with a friend. They will be so glad that you did. Everyone who subscribes this week gets an idea igniter. It is a little box that spits out random words. Combine them to spark your next big idea. Just a little warning. Results may vary from genius to gibberish. Join us Thursday on our Sandsfield Expert Series where my guest is Arnab Misra, COO of Exactly. We explore maximizing team performance alignment and wrap up with the unicorn fallacy. You'll love this episode. And the next Tuesday, super special guest, we have Rand Fishkin, the wizard of Moz and founder and CEO of Spark Toro. We talk about his journey to $100 million, wins, losses, and building smart this time around. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.